Maureen of Chicago. I'm Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And, and we, we are, are burdened with a glorious podcast. Welcome back to our show. We talk about our favorite trickster bad mastery on Disney Plus. So the reason why uh, this is a bit belated is because I am such a fangirl. I had to go to uh, one of the places where Loki was worshipped. And I just got back from Reykjavik, Iceland. <laughs> yeah, this this is going to be a very special episode of Burdened with Glorious podcast. It, it's it's sort of our uh, our Goosebumps super special edition. <laughs> um, it's two episodes you know, in one. Yeah, yeah. Plus, uh, plus Maureen's Icelandic adventure. You know, <laughs> uh, listener, beware flips. You're in for some hair flips. God. breathtaking in all the cliches that you've heard before of just it's like when you look at it on a map and it's so tiny and you just nothing can prepare you for just how vast it is of like miles around of like nothing but like rocks and moss and mountains and as soon as I stepped foot there I'm like the Lord of the Rings makes so much more sense now it makes so <laughs> much more sense the Vikings and the prose Edda make so much more sense of like just how extreme uh the environment is and uh I will say this to like bring it back to the theme of our show so when you're in Reykjavik uh Iceland's capital city there's this really big church and it's so big it's kind of like it's really is a cornerstone of like whenever you're lost in the city you can just like peek out and see like a bit of it uh i'm probably botching this pronunciation but it's uh halgrim skirkia and uh it's this church that if you look at it you'll see it was clearly the main inspiration for the look of uh the palace of asgard in the mcu and what didn't prepare me was that i was on my way there because like when you're at the top you can have this like perfect view of the whole city around you but as I was on my way there, I had to like literally pause and laugh out loud because right across from it, like just across the street was this restaurant named Cafe Loki. <laughs> and it had honestly terrific Icelandic food. I had uh, the Balder special uh, nerd <laughs> alert, which I called Balder's plate, <laughs> which was uh, two open faced uh, fish sandwiches. And it was, like, one of them had this, like, soy miso glaze that was, like, the best salmon I've ever had. And this rye bread ice cream. And I never thought that I would taste that and find it delicious as I did. But I did. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, obviously, great trip. What was also really funny was I was actually in Iceland. Uh, my last day there was the day the episode, uh, episode six came out. So I got to watch it at a very convenient time rather than have to get up at like two in the morning if I was in Illinois. <laughs> and yeah, it, uh, I don't have to wear a bra for the rest of the year because that blew my tits clean off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, meanwhile, that was, that was actually the one episode that I was actually straight up just like, well, you know what? I'm awake. I'm just gonna, you know, roll over. And I ended up watching it in the dark on my cell phone. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, yeah, just, I, you know, I have this, like, this, like, pillow-sized Hulk Tsum that I, I've had for, like, I want to say about four years now, and I just, yeah, I just prop my phone up against Pillow Hulk, as we tend to call him in this household, <laughs> and I was just like, all right, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna watch this, and that was very interesting, considering that I've otherwise been watching this show on, like, our large flat screen TV in the living room. Uh, yeah, but first, I feel like it's only fair to do this in chronological order. So yeah. going back to episode five, uh, I mean, I never really gave much thought to the phrase, there are no small roles in the theater, but then Richard E. fucking Grant comes along. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I, I think... I'm pretty sure that the first text that I sent you about that episode was actually just in all caps, Old Loki, my fucking dude. Yes, I remember that! Yeah, yeah. I... <laughs> and I saw an interview uh, with him talking about uh, his time on the show, and when he first saw his costume he was, like, really upset that it didn't have sewn-on muscles, because in his own words, without muscles, I'm just Kermit in tights, and great minds, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I remember correctly, a bunch of, um, like, I don't know if any of the official Muppet Twitters responded to this, although I feel, I think the Kermit one might have, actually. But I do know that a lot of the, like, Muppet enthusiast Twitters, the ones that have, ba- that are basically sanctioned, you know, um, you know, Tough Pigs, for example, mm-hmm. I know that they were making Kermit Collar jokes, like, from the moment that episode dropped. Yeah, like, as soon as I saw the WandaVision episode where they were in their Halloween costumes, I knew that it was a distinct possibility that we would have Golden Kermit Collar. I just did not expect it to have, like, to carry the weight it did because I was thinking of I texted you this uh, shortly after your old Loki my dude um, <laughs> classic Loki really does remind me a lot of like Sideshow Mel from the Simpsons and that there's this character who is clearly used to being like a Shakespearean thespian who just wants the dignity they deserve but they look like that <laughs> I mean, on the other hand, I, I do really like to think... Now, see, so we know that they probably cast Richard E. Grant based on, you know, at least partially on what I've mentioned in the past about the um, the early on uh, comparisons, particularly when Avengers 2012 came out, when everybody was pointing out how much he looked like, um, how much Loki in that movie looked like Richard E. Grant in uh, With Null and I, which was from, like, 1985 or something. And again, like I've said, uh, I think I said it on the first episode of this show, all you have to do is Google a picture of him in this movie and you will understand the jokes immediately. Um. <laughs> well, yeah, in the interview I saw, Richard E. Grant talk about how he actually, uh, he knew Tom Hiddleston from his, like, mid-20s when he was doing Othello uh, with Ewan McGregor. And they've known each other since then, and the two have talked, uh, they have joked several times oh, yeah, about the was, idea of them playing the, father and that son. That was the production where uh, Ewan McGregor was Iago, right? 
Yeah. Oh, so. yeah. Because yeah. Uh, Tom Hiddleston was was Cassio. That's right. See, mm-hmm. I I know Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. I mean that that also makes a lot of sense, and it wouldn't surprise me if that was brought into the conversation as well. But with that in mind, and even though they also, you know have him say that you know his timeline proceeded in exactly the same way I really do like to think that with that costume that it had I I feel as though he had to have come from a version of, of the timeline where everything was just about the same except everybody was in their 60s comet costumes I I really like to believe that his Thor around, you know, the same time as like, you know, whatever his timeline's equivalent of like, you know, Infinity War and, and all that goes. I, I really like to think that his Thor just looked like um, Vincent D'Onofrio in Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> Even because though you know what? Thought... You know what? I mean, I yes, I know that he was Kingpin now, <laughs> but at the same time, you know what? You know what? If they can put Gemma Chan in two of these movies... <laughs> God, every time I bring this up, I feel bad. Like I feel like it sounds like I'm ragging on Gemma Chan for this, (laughs) but it's but it's like no, no, that's you know for one thing, I I mean, I think especially for a woman of color, it's actually really cool that they gave her a chance to do another role that's not a minor supporting role where she's covered completely in like Technicolor makeup. Well, I mean. As you may know, the fact alone that uh, Charlie Cox is going to be uh, reprising as Martha Murdock in Spider-Man No Way Home, it's entirely possible we could have Vince D'Onofrio interact with Thor and say, hey, you look familiar. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I just, that's, that, that's my, that's, that's what I have in mind is that I, I just, I, I'm just imagining an entire version of of like all of the previous movies, except everybody looks, you know, as much like their 60s selves as they can. You know, I mean, we've also have, you know, I, I, I want you to understand that this also means that, you know, we have an Iron Man running around who looks like a trash can from Tomorrowland. Um, Ooh. You know, I, <laughs> what, what would be great is if like uh, in next, in the next MCU project, uh, we find out that the 1992 Captain America film actually exists in the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I, you know what, that is, that is so much more galaxy brain than where I was going with this because then I, I was, I was just about to be like, you know, does this mean that we would have like, you know, Natasha running around actually wearing essentially like a little funeral costume the entire time instead of anything even remotely practical? Man, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Although my personal theory is that classic Loki spent his youth looking and dressing exactly like our Loki right up until the very end. And it's only when he lived completely alone, did he change his current costume to reflect his self-loathing clown status? <laughs> but where would he have come up with this? I mean, I just I just think it's a lot funnier to imagine, you know, the entirety of, like, the events of Ragnarok, except it's, you know, a, a young Richard E. Grant who now has, like, the gold horsehair ponytail attached to his helmet, you know, trying very hard to, you know, not give the impression that he was quite possibly sleeping with this blue man. Like, I don't, you know, the, the Grandmaster is blue in the comics. That's what I mean. 
I realize it sounds like I'm implying like the Blue Man Group exists in the MCU, and I, <laughs> I, well, I with don't know. Well, Taika you never know, do you? Yeah, I mean, and I was gonna make a joke based on the end of episode six, but we're gonna try to stay at least somewhat chronological <laughs> in this episode. This was, uh, this was the, you know, episode five. You know, we we kind of have to backtrack on this one. So episode five is. You know, if if it were an episode of Friends, you would have to refer to it as, you know, the one with all the Lokis. <laughs> yeah, so what makes the premise of this episode so brilliant is it's cap- perfectly captures an experience that pretty much every millennial is familiar with, and that is cringing at things you've said on the internet from 15 years ago, only they've all taken on human form and are come to life. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and and especially the way that, you know, I think a lot about his his reaction by the time this fully kicks in is, you know, the first reaction you get from our Loki when he is aggressively confronted by a bunch of other variants, although more on that in a second, is to literally just sigh, blink, and say, this is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> Not... <laughs> Not, which is not at all the kind of reaction I feel like we normally would have expected him to have, but here we are. Yeah, Um, it's... It's just great um, knowing just, like, how... Like, what I love about this show is it occurred to me uh, that this is only six episodes, and it's, like, it really is, like, a miniseries, and the writers have been so good at, like having the showing the most character growth in the most economic but efficient time frame and it really is outstanding how we can watch Loki at the start of episode one and to episode five just like maturing so quickly and becoming so much more aware of his flaws yeah you know something that um Something that I've been wondering about this show for a while now is how much time has actually passed. Yeah, I mean, that is a good question. I do think it's pretty subjective because, like, on the one hand, I'm sorry, but Tom Hiddleston does not look like he's in his late 20s anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, but even if you hand wave that aspect of it, which, you know, I, you know, it, it did occur to me, obviously, but it's not, it didn't really stand out as important. That seemed like the kind of thing that, you know, you just kind of brush off because it, you know, because, you know, that's just kind of the way it is when you're making uh, movies and shows over this long of a period of time. But also, um, I think that, you know, I, because... I've seen a lot of fandom criticism of this show saying that, you know, he develops too quickly. It's over only the course of a few days. I, I don't think it is. No, I don't get the impression that this is over the course of like four days or not. And I mean, and that might have even been actually that. I think that that might've even actually been suggested within the show itself because, you know, there is a, there is the point where he is, you know, just completely losing it with frustration and, he admits that he doesn't even know how long it's been since New York. Well, I think the biggest visual tell that way more time has passed in just a few days is if you look 
just at Sylvie's hair when we first see her. It's yeah, mostly blonde. Both of their hair, really. Yeah. Just past her chin, but by the end of the series, it's like pretty much by her shoulders, and there is like dark streaks showing up, and it's not even so much like full bleach as it is just like balayage. Yeah, yeah. Well, and for that matter, you know, Loki's own hair, as soon as it's like freed from the, the Christmas tree <laughs> <laughs> prison that it's in. In the, in the first event in the first Avengers movie you know I, I guess presumably literally just falling in the sand in the Gobi desert it was like it's that dry and it just did it, it went from, anyway it went from JRPG villain to brush out curls yeah but but you know but at the start of the series you know with the I guess with the curl reasserting itself since it's not so quite so stuck down to his head you know it's his his hair is is still like you know, I, I want to say, like, back of his neck length, you know, because calling it jaw length feels a little bit weird because he doesn't wear it like that. But, um, but you know, but by the end of it, his is also just about shoulder length. Like, they're, they do seem to be implying that, you know, time is a little screwy here, which does make sense given the premise of the show. But also, I feel like on a on a very practical level that, you know, setting up him actually working at the TVA early on in the show, that does seem to be kind of a montage situation to begin with. Like, oh, yeah. I don't think it's literally his first day. You get the impression that he was actually put on, you know, that he probably spent at least a week or so, you know, going through files and examining them and, you know, and accustoming himself to the system. Yeah, yeah, I can absolutely believe. And, like, this is, it's sort of like, the realm of the fairies or like wibbly wobbly timey wami of like to outside people it might seem like a day has passed but inside it's been like a week yeah that's that's kind of the imp- i mean and it, the, there is the fact that the tva proper exists outside of time which you know more on that later as well it's it really is just i i don't think you can say that it was too fast when we don't we literally don't know how long this actually took him to, you know, how long it took him to go through all of this. And, but at the same time, I think it's also kind of overlooking the fact that, you know, it's been confirmed that he was not super, you know, he was not in his own right mind during the first Avengers movie. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was the bad qualities that he did come by, honestly, for lack of a better term being really amplified and having a whole lot of, you know, bullshit fed in his ear along with, you know, basically being told that at the same time, if you fail at any of this, you are going to suffer the most horrific suffering you can possibly imagine. So I don't, so I feel like if you think of this as a little bit more of a reversion back to like, Thor era Loki, but less selfish. Like that's that's really where I see a lot of his characterization and the character development coming from. It it does, you know, because a lot of what was going on with him in the first Thor movie was quite literally him doing a lot of like as selfish as it was. You, you he still had an understandable motive behind just about everything. I mean, you you really were just watching somebody having a an extended breakdown in that movie. And as, you know, even I feel like even one of the screenwriters pointed out that at the beginning of the movie, he does actually have a point. You know, at that point Thor actually isn't ready to be king and 
it really doesn't even seem to be until Avengers that Loki himself seems to have totally internalized the idea that he actually, that he is any better for this. It, you kind of seem almost like he's got a bit of tall poppy syndrome where Thor's concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which if you, if you haven't heard of that, that's a, I think it's an Australian expression actually, where, you know, if somebody stands out, too much above their peers, you know, you have to cut them down. I mean, I feel like that's actually the original manifestation of his jealousy there. I mean, that's the impression I get through the first movie and a lot of the actual conviction that he, you know, thinks that he is actually destined to be king instead of Thor as opposed to, well, because, you know, in the first movie, his entire plot hinges on the fact that he plans to step down. He manufactures a crisis, he handles the crisis, and then daddy loves him more. Like, that's his whole, that's his whole thing. Um, and so I, I feel like that having already had it, you know, kind of thrown in his face in this show that, like, no, you're, you're not meant to be king of, like, anything. And, 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 you know, and I think that to a certain extent, that's kind of almost the meta thesis of the entire show. I mean, I'm thinking about how the first thing Sylvie says to him is, this isn't about you. Well, what's fascinating, or like the first thing she says when she's appearing to him as herself, I mean. Yeah, what's fascinating is that uh, at the end of episode one, what Mobius tells him basically mirrors what Odin tells him, and that your only birthright was to die. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just... I mean, because, and that honestly makes a bit more sense than what he originally says to provoke him, because, you know, if you do think about regular timeline Loki's whole arc, it really actually does come down to, it doesn't actually seem to be, you know, hey, you're supposed to be the villain and you only get what, you know, what comes to the villain. It seems to be more like, no, you, you, you go through your villain arc, you burn out and then you die young. I saw somebody on Twitter observe that the show actually kind of serves to repeatedly remind him that he's not actually the main character. Yeah. And, and you know, and the thing is, is that he actually seems pretty chill with it <laughs> as it progresses. And, and that's, and that's the other, is that, you know, he, it's, I think that we haven't seen the fullest manifestation of that yet, but I do think that that's some of where his reaction to, you know, encountering President Loki's gang comes from just like, great, great. <laughs> yeah, so not to skip ahead too much, but... Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that uh, between the first Thor movie and the Avengers and then the series, Loki's arc has had, like, three parts. The first one is, I never wanted the throne, I only wanted to be equal to Thor. I just want to be appreciated and, like, be validated for who I am. Which is, to be fair, an entirely, uh, entirely sympathetic stance. It's an entirely understandable want. And then by the Avengers, he believes in the lie that, oh, actually, maybe I do want the throne after all. And then by the end of the series... He grows past that of, I don't want a throne. I don't even want to be validated anymore. I am now selfless, and I just want someone else to be safe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that, 
I mean, and the thing is, is that that's, uh, you know, that is kind of also where he had technically ended up in the main timeline by the end of Ragnarok. I mean, somebody, um, I saw that somebody on TV tropes had actually pointed out that he had actually functionally succeeded, uh, Frigga's role in like how the, um, in like how the Asgardian government was structured in the sense of being like, you know, the, <laughs> you know, the, the magic using chief supporter of the ruler who, you know, at that point is also, has also made themselves universally beloved, which does seem to be kind of where he's gotten himself by the end of that movie, right before they kill him in the beginning of the next one. <laughs> but, uh, it was, you know, well lasted. <laughs> yeah, it I mean, yeah, and and also, you know, it is interesting that that's something that that's not something that gets pointed out to him. But you know, it it is it is what it is, and unfortunately, at this point, that version of him is is quite literally dead and not coming back. Although that goes back uh, to if what Loki said is true, and what makes a Loki a Loki is surviving through pretty much everything, then could it not be argued that the sacred timeline Loki? is really the least Lokiest of all Lokis. That That is an excellent point, yes. <laughs> Hopefully that's, something that will um, be more explored. Yeah, yeah, that, I mean, it does seem to go along with what they've been uh, pushing as a general theme in a lot of these shows, actually, of, you know the characters that were previously not focused on in the same way being held back from their full potential. I mean, that was in particular a, a really big thing with, uh, with Wanda. And um, they are, they do go for that with Loki in this one. And I, I would argue that even if it's in a somewhat more mundane way, they also did that with Sam Wilson in particular. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, with him, it's uh with him, like I said, it's it's a bit more of a mundane and recognizing it in himself sort of way, but, you know. Well, you have to realize it's the baseball cap show and not a cosmic stoner show. <laughs> yeah, there's, so, if you're listening to this show, you are almost certainly the sort of person who will have seen this tweet anyway. But there's a really, really good tweet going around that says that Marvel makes two kinds of movies. They've got the ones that are fun to watch while you're stoned. And the picture that they use to illustrate this is, I, it's from Doctor Strange, right? Yeah, I think it is when he's, like, going through, like, all the dimensions. Yeah, yeah, of him, like, you know, of him, like, hovering in space on his back. What you wish you know? your acid trip was like. <laughs> and then, and then, and then there's the hat ones, and it's just a picture People of People spying Roger. wearing baseball caps. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, so Falcon and the Winter Soldier is, it, it's a hat show. <laughs> it's a hat show. It's, it's about, it's about, you know, heist, it, it's about, you know, terrorism and, you know. It and, can never and, be too abstract. <laughs> and, and high stakes, you know, political intrigue and stuff like that. But it's, it's very grounded and, you know, and you don't, you know, even when you've got characters who technically have superpowers at this point, like Bucky, it comes from, you know, horrific uh, mental conditioning and stuff like that. Or, you know, or Sam eventually getting his Captain America super suit, you know, so that and it's a hat show. Yeah. So, <laughs> so naturally, 
Sam's character evolution in particular because he's uh, he's a bit more the main character than uh, than Bucky is. You know, Bucky remains kind of the sidekick. Um, you know, his his thing is realizing that you know what? Yes, he is ready to be Captain America, like Steve asked him to be. Which is it? Which is you know that's that's the hat show equivalent of realizing that you've been holding back your magic the entire time. Uh, well, it also reminds me of that one uh, really famous tweet of uh, the still from Endgame with Wanda, uh, Sam, and Bucky at Tony's funeral, <laughs> and the caption was, "Rather than go to therapy, they're going to have their own shows." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, you know, and to be fair to, uh, to be fair to Sam, considering that he does work as, like, a peer counselor and stuff, like, <laughs> I, I feel like Sam was probably already taking care of this, because it's kind of part of Sam's characterization that Sam is, is pretty conscientious about his mental health and that of others. But that just makes but... it even more fascinating that Bucky has court mandated therapy, Sam is used to giving out therapy, and they just, that does not work between them at all. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> This is th- this is the luxury of having a supersized episode. That we can just start talking about. We can just start talking about, um, you know, hat show, uh, you know, HIPAA policy and stuff like that. I I don't know if I quite. But I mean, in that case, I I would assume that it's because they're friends. You know that they might not be able to do that. You know that if he's got if he's got to take court mandated therapy, he might not be able to get it from a friend. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I know that they're. I know that part of the point of the show is them really becoming friend friends, but still, it might just be like, no, you can't do this with your weird superhero coworker. <laughs> however, you, I, you know, I don't. We don't know how this works, but no, you, you can't. You, you can't just have another guy you know, who does superhero stuff, just be like, okay, I got this. (laughs) Even though you would think that that would be the most useful for somebody who's actually... (laughs) Uh, So going back to the gain of Lokis and how it's kind of ambiguous whether we're supposed to feel like they're all Loki variants or because it's been said on the show that the void is pretty much literally for everyone and everything. So I highly doubt that like all like the miniature peacocks were supposed to be Loki variants, for instance. So Oh, I... well I didn't I didn't well for one thing, apparently those were an Alice in Wonderland reference, although I don't know the name of the specific characters, <laughs> but um well I don't I didn't get the impression that everyone in the void was a Loki, but I'd seen a lot of people assuming that everybody in President Loki's gang was a Loki variant. And the thing is, is that a lot of them, they have, like, taken Loki iconography into their costumes in some way or another. And, like, and some of them definitely are. You know, we see the, um, we see, like, the, you know, the, the, like, Rasputin bearded, uh, Norse Loki. True, but I kind of, I kind of saw it, though, the way if you're, like, if you stand someone, you kind of, like, dress in the way that they would or like I guess well, it, like... oh yeah no that was what I was gonna say is I I think that some of them are variants but I don't think the entire gang was no I think in a weird way that's what closest we'll ever get to in universe Loki cosplayers 
Yeah, well, and the other the other bit of evidence for them not all literally being uh, Lokis, even if they've all kind of, you know, taken that on as their Mad Max gang theme, is at one point when he's talking about Sylvie to the uh, variants that he actually befriends, our Loki asks if they've ever encountered a female variant before. And they're all like, no, I mean, and, and you know, an old Loki straight up goes, you know, well, that sounds terrifying or something like that. <laughs> And the thing is, is that there is very prominently a woman in President Loki's gang. She's actually one of the easier ones to pick out because she happens to have like bright artificially red hair, which is apparently a Run Lola Run reference because that movie is also about like branching timelines and stuff. And so I I would think that that just kind of automatically spells it out that if they have one, you know, if this gang that prominently has a woman in there, but they say that they've never seen a female variant, I feel like that kind of answers the question. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's also a guy in there whose horns are, you know, literally made out of bicycle um, handlebars. <laughs> but that kind of plays into what, um, you know, when, when Mobius manages to reconnect with the group in the void, you know, there's a, he kind of muses on whether or not, you know, America's sweetheart, Alligator Loki, even is an actual Loki. And then, but then as he stops and thinks about it, he, he kind of suggests that, you know, on the other hand, if Alligator Loki isn't actually a Loki, but is pretending to be a Loki for some kind of long con, then technically that is that is even Lokier behavior. But it would mean that he's not, act, you know, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, I feel like that might actually be part of, like, the psychology of, like, what... Not just the idea of that being, like, their gang theme or whatever, you know, because if you think about it in terms of, like, a lot of post-apocalyptic fiction, which is kind of what the Void is mimicking in a lot of ways, you know, the whole themed gang thing is is pretty common. But at the same time, I don't know, it's like, maybe it's trying to push for some kind of greater theme about, like, you know, you know, it that as much as, you know, the role of Loki appears to be kind of a cosmic scapegoat situation that... At the same time, you know, there's that kind of potential to do the exact same bullshit in just about everybody, <laughs> which would also play, uh, which would also kind of roll along with, um, you know, as far as we know, especially um, because of something in episode six that we haven't chronologically gotten to yet in this episode, um, you know, at this point, it does seem unlikely that Renslayer is a var- is a Loki variant. But at the same time, you know, she almost point by point plays out a lot of the same type of like manipulation tactics and stuff like that. So I don't know if this was intentional on their part or not, but it definitely is is interesting to conclude. Um, when we talked about this on the phone the other day, I made some kind of I turned this into a joke about how, you know, everybody's got a slim shady lurking and, and Maureen locked <laughs> it for a moment. There we go. There we go. So Disney and Marvel has to have like a soothsayer on their team because there's no other explanation for how they somehow knew exactly when to introduce Loki Gator to the national public at the (laughs) second, the second we just slightly waned interest in Baby Yoda merchandise. You know... Alligator Loki is is just is truly just a marvel of modern engineering considering how much um 
you know, I have various friends who are like not really into the idea of the show, haven't really paid much attention to it, who just adore that guy. <laughs> like, you know, and and I and I do think that he was genuinely like one of the highlights of the episode, even with this episode being like the best one in the series, I think. Um <laughs> Which is not to say I was disappointed by episode six, but I mean that this was just, there was not a moment when this episode was going on where I was not delighted in some No, nothing and no one was wasted. Yeah, no, it was, um... But it really is, um... You know, I, I, I really just love the ongoing just roll with it thing that they have going on with him. You know, the fact that, um... The fact that old Loki's only explanation for why they just assume that he's a Loki is that he's green. Um, the fact that he drinks box wine. <laughs> and I just love the fact that it's never fully explained that classic Loki is the only one who can interpret Gator Loki. Yeah, yeah. Except except at the same time, you know, there's the weird fact that classic Loki is also, like... You wouldn't expect for him to be as mature and grounded as he is. Like, you know, they really, they never even really flirt with the idea of, you know, crazy old man who, who kind of cracked from the isolation or anything like that. And that really surprised me. They never, they never even try to make you think that that might be the case before reaffirming your faith in him. It's just like, he's, he's a very, he's a very calm, dignified presence from the start. And he's, I mean... I I really loved what they did with that character. It was Oh yeah. Like he has only like 15 minutes of screen time and he makes use out of every one of them. And I love yeah. how he's in there for only one episode but he has like a complete arc. Like his storyline ends exactly where it needs to. Yeah, no, and it's it's just everything about that is I mean Really, the only thing that I feel was uh, was underused in that episode was um, I really had hoped that we were gonna we were gonna learn more about uh, boastful Loki, whom I still can't help but think was just some kind of uh, I can't help I still you know they they never confirmed it and he wasn't around long enough for them to actually say it in any direction, but. I still can't help but think that that guy was was you know some kind of you know, over the top Thor Loki hybrid. Like, you know, they they're not gonna they're not gonna make you know, they're not gonna cast somebody that, you know, tall and built and give him a hammer and not expect the audience to make that connection. Although he did say that his Nexus event was killing all the Avengers, so that could simply be the spoils of war for him. Well, true, although on the other hand it could also just be that, you know, he uh it, it could also be that being both a Thor and a Loki, he ended up turning on his teammates. You know, I'm, I'm saying that if that was a Mjolnir, he wouldn't be able to lift it. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, because, you know, because assuming that if his next, if that was his Nexus event, you know, he clearly, it must have made, you know, maybe it was just that he went through the, uh, you know, the Thor paces well enough that they were just kind of like, well, okay. But... He also well, okay. took, but didn't he also take the Infinity Stones after he killed the Avengers? So he could have simply used like the Power of Reality Stone for that. You know, I don't know. It's it's just I I still I'm just kind of like 
they I, I feel like they would have told us otherwise. <laughs> and I feel like it, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know, Occam's razor just kind of seems to suggest that, you know, if they put a big muscle guy in this show and he's also carrying a hammer that, you know, he's probably a Thor to some extent. But I mean, unfortunately, they never answered it with him. And that's the only and and that really is like the only part of this episode that actually disappointed me because I was just remember thinking like, what was this guy's deal? Still, I mean, I definitely have reason to believe that we haven't seen the last of all the Loki variants in the void because you know that they're going to get kid Loki out because for the sake of the Avengers. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would like to think so. I mean, and especially just because I also don't want this 14-year-old being stuck in there with no one else to care for him. Especially when, especially when you know, he's, you know, they express that his way of, uh, they express that, you know, his Nexus event was killing Thor, but he says he says it so flatly and he seems to be such a nice kid. That you kind of get the impression. I mean, well, and also he has that one line about how, you know, and whenever we try to make anything better, we end up here or something like that. They send us here to die, something like that. Like, I, that doesn't sound like a kid who tried to kill his brother on purpose. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think it would be all the more tragic is, like, if he killed Thor, like, entirely on accident. And that was something, like, he never wanted to begin with. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just... Especially if, like, Thor was also a teenager at the time. Yeah, and it's just, like, he's, like, 14, you know? His his voice hasn't broken yet. <laughs> and, like, pr- for all we know, he's presumably stayed in that spot, stuck as a 14-year-old for centuries. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. It's just, you know, it... this poor kid, my god... And to the, you know, and now at this point, now he doesn't, now he doesn't have anybody and it's, it, except for the alligator. And it's really upsetting. <laughs> I, just... I don't know about you, but I just think perfect casting, even though he doesn't look anything like uh, the original actor who played Loki as a boy. I do love the fact that kid Loki looks so much to me like a really, really young Gerard Way. <laughs> you know, you'd be more familiar with that than 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 I am. But you know, but at the same time, like I don't know if I necessarily I mean, especially just with the style of the costuming and everything, like I don't think he was necessarily supposed to have literally looked exactly the same. I think he was just kind of, you know, cuz at this point they have very much established that, you know, Loki's they don't all look alike. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so I don't think it, he necessarily needed to look like the the little boy that they got in the first one that was, uh, that, you know, actually did look exactly like a young version <laughs> of Tom Middleton's Loki. But, um, so I'm trying to think of, but okay, old Loki's last stand. Uh... The greatest scene in this show god damn i loved the wagner shout out like hot damn <laughs> well yeah yeah the the um and you know and i loved that they put it in there as a recognizable detail the the bit of uh it wants uh, you Ride to of pay the attention to that 
it, it's enough that it it's enough that it evoked Ride of the Valkyries. Like you recognized that you know that that uh, fanfare in there, but it not being literally just Ride of the Valkyries. Mm-hmm. That was you know that was already one of the best uh, the you know one of the best decisions that they made with the music there. But it's also I just that scene was really emotional and it was it was one of those things where it was like I had the biggest smile on my face even though I knew as soon as it started that he wasn't going to make it. Um but you know the compare <laughs> the compare you know I I gone into this saying that uh you know that I really wanted uh classic Loki to basically be their captain Barbosa. And the thing is, is that he wasn't quite that, but, you know, I've, I've mentioned, uh, I've mentioned the terror on here a couple of times and who he really reminded me of was Mr. Blanky. Mm. Yeah. I mean, complete, if you think about it with the, the death scene, I, I'm, I'm sorry if, if this feels like to anybody listening, like I've spoiled the terror, but like, I don't think it's really spoiling the terror to know that literally everybody in it dies. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the going out cackling, facing down the monster to give uh, people he cares about a little bit more time. Like that is, that is literally also how Blanky goes out. And when that hit me, it's like, Oh man. (laughs) Um, But you know, but at the same time, also just the, the general sense of being like, you know, clearly the chillest and most mature person in this, this gang of misfits kind of situation. So, um, but that was, that was definitely the vibe that I that I was getting off of him, and I just I I'm gonna miss that character so much. Um, I mean, assuming that he's actually gone, considering that he did mention that he was able to fake his death by posing as an inanimate object. Well, you know the first rule of Marvel: nobody stays dead except for Uncle Ben. <laughs> so, like, I mean, you know, if they. If, if they bring him back to just, you know, be a fucking boss again, I would be, I would be really happy with that. So what you're saying is you would love it if, like, in season two, uh, Loki and Sylvie need to make, need to form, like, a crack team to take down the big bad of Kane, and then outsteps a pair of feet, and the camera pans up, and it's classic Loki saying, "What did and I now miss, gentlemen?" Look, look, you, you guys, you just have to understand that I just really, I just love weird old guys. Okay, weird old guys are one of my favorite genres of character, and that's it. Just God, I just I I loved what they I loved what they did with that character. That was. I also loved how much fun Richard E. Grant was clearly having wearing that cape to the point of flapping it around himself when he falls into a chair laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, on the other hand, we, uh, I, you know, I, I really love how they had us all thinking that, that President Loki was going to be, you know, a straight up alternate, you know, a glimpse into an alternate universe of ours where, you know, he was that, successful and you know that much of a big bad and it turns out in this one he he really is just like an incompetent mad max gang leader (laughs) (laughs) and he's taken down like that (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, and um, and you know, and you were talking about how like you don't feel like you've seen the last of the variants, and I'm just like, if they ever bring him back, he is going to be fucked up. No, <laughs> like, if they bring back President Loki, he has to be like the rickety cricket of that show, who just gets progressively <laughs> more deteriorated and kicked by life. Yeah, I mean, you know, he he loses at least one hand. He probably loses the other. He he gets at one point shoved face first through glass into a popcorn machine. Like, I mean, even if uh, even if at this point Marvel has downplayed what going face first through glass actually does to you, because you know, as you might remember, that their uh, jigsaw didn't look particularly jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know. So, heading on to episode six. So, this is how Loki ends. Not with a cane, but with a whimper. (laughs) (laughs) So, let me set the opening scene of the finale for you. You have spent your entire adulthood as a designated cosmic plaything, raging against the path that was denied to you. After decades of scheming, you finally enter God's chamber, and his reaction to your presence is the opening laugh to feel good ink. (laughs) God, basically. (laughs) Uh, I mean, to be fair, when I first saw this episode, I did not know at the time that uh, there would be a season two. So I was just like, okay, I'm not mad. It just feels very much like a video game of insert disc two now (laughs) and then i realized oh okay this really was supposed to be 12 episodes long but they had to cut in half because they were like shooting during the pandemic yeah and like okay that makes me feel a little better because like it just did not feel like a place that you would end a miniseries because there's just like so much stuff that I mean maybe maybe from like a Twilight Zone perspective but not (laughs) um because it it really did feel very much like a Twilight Zone ending but but moving moving back to this uh moving back to the start of the episode um yeah that's 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 a pretty incredible description of he who remains who um I you know for I really do like how the show has kind of laid it out and finally fixed the entire issue with what exactly is the chronology of Kang's existence <laughs> in the comics. And this, it seems like the MCU is really smoothing it out by having all of these different incarnations of him actually just be variants of, you know, 33rd century or whatever, uh, Nathaniel Richards. Which is probably, like, the smartest thing that they could have done. It, it actually helps clarify things a lot better. Another really smart decision they did was, uh, I mean, yes, I hated Thanos. He was a perfectly, suitably loathsome villain. In that, of course, you're going to hate him for everything he's done and all, like, the lives he's ruined. But Kane is just way more terrifying to me like if nothing else the fact that he's just like a flesh and blood and not like the cgi california raisin of like it's someone who you can you know the characters are in the same room with 
and he doesn't seem like he has that much well so i don't i don't know if this one i don't know this one isn't actually kang that's not this one's name true okay i know semantics yeah no 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 i get what i get what you're saying i mean but i but when i bring this up it's actually more to the point of um point of you know we need to emphasize the fact that this episode has revealed the fact that Jonathan Majors is probably going to get to play a good five or six different villains. And you know what? I am I am looking forward to this. This is going to be incredible. As am I. But I, I don't even if I don't even really keep up with the movie so much anymore, I'm I'm just gonna need need in all the different Kang Nathaniel Richards, you know, variants supercut thing going on. Mm-hmm. Of like there's just something so terrifying about him saying, like, oh, this is actually just me at a three. You have not seen me at a ten, and you do not ever want to meet me at a ten. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, because the thing is, is that for whatever, whatever, you know, potentially extraordinarily sick reasons that he had for, like, narrowing the timeline down to include so much pain and suffering and everything, like, this is somebody who could have very well gone in and edited things to make them better, and he didn't. Although, at the same time, I feel like if he did, that would also still be really weird and creepy. Because I I don't know this is this is a really complicated question, um, but at the same time it's it's like you know you get the idea that there is some kind of like really ruthless pragmatism to this version of him, and the, and I got the impression that he was hinting that like his variants you know a lot of them don't have that going on, like you know they're not going for the the pragmatism angle. Um, also, you know, with my extensive background in Watchmen fandom, I, I can't help but think and that they were definitely... And there it is, folks. <laughs> okay, but serious. Seriously, I, I can't help but feel like they were going a little bit for the idea of presenting him as kind of a, like, a deranged Ozymandias-Dr. Manhattan hybrid. Oh, no. Like, I have, I've, like, I immediately got the, like, the scene of all them together. It was very... Watchmen, The Matrix Reloaded, and Snowpiercer vibes of, like, uh, just, like, the villain just, like, being so completely far removed from what the heroes, uh, think he should be worried about, and the, just, the total horror of, like, just how, just how much control have you always had all this time? But I mean, at the same time, like, you know, I mentioned the hybrid aspect there because the the knowing what they're going to say before they say it, but then being like, I can't react until you've said that. I mean, that is a straight up Dr. Manhattan lift. And I mean, and with the impact that that has had on, you know, basically everything related to comics, I feel like that had to have been intentional. But on the other hand, I'm kind of at a point where I almost can't believe how much they got away with making his costume look like an Ozymandias reference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, between the between the gold robe and the, I mean, the, sorry, not the purple robe, but the shape of the collar on the robe. And then the fact that he also has like a gold eye emblem at like exactly the same point where the, where the eye is on, on, on Vite's, uh chest plate thing. Like that, that to me felt very intentional. And I would, I would love to know if, if it actually was. I would be because shocked it, if it wasn't. 
Yeah, I mean, especially considering that, you know, I feel like a lot of the American public has, you know, relatively recently been reminded of what an Ozymandias costume looks like because they actually went ahead and made it look like that in the HBO Watchmen series, you know, as opposed to how in the, the movie they used a different costume design. Um, and actually, with that in mind, it... it I also had a, um, I also had kind of a, a realization after the fact of like how much more I am, I was like enjoying this series compared to HBO Watchmen, um, which I mean, I thought that the original plotline in that show was very good. I feel like it did kind of fall apart toward the end and I, I, I have some thoughts on the Vite plotline that are irrelevant to the show, but needless to say, that is not where I ever would have written the character going myself. Um, but one thing that really got to me afterward and made me realize how much this show nailed the parts of that plotline that I thought that I really felt like they bungled in that show was um, afterward, one of the writers for this show mentioned um, in an interview that, you know, if you assume that he who remains was actually telling the truth about holding all of his other variants in check and about, you know, what he, he did was necessary, um, that, you know, that there's actually, that there hasn't been any real free will, like, I mean, or at the very least, any other options of free will were carefully pruned out through the entire, you know, MCU as we've seen it up to this point. And I remember how, like, the day after the HBO Watchmen finale aired, um, you know, Damon Lindelof went on record as saying that, uh, you know, the play that Vite started writing in the first episode, it never ended. And everything that you saw happen to him on Europa after that was something that he had put in the play. And I was just like, wow, that officially drained me of, like, what little enjoyment I'd gotten out of this. This is so stupid. What the fuck? <laughs> Whereas, whereas I feel like, you know, having everything that had happened in the MCU presented at this point like that was just kind of like, oh, wow, that is really cosmically chilling. Like it didn't make, and I think part of it is because it's not that they literally would have lacked free will. It's the fact that it, it's the fact that, you know, any other option was removed from anybody being able to see it you know what I mean like yeah. I do think that it's obvious that they were sentient people who were you know who were making their own decisions it's just that the after effect of the decisions was then carefully guided to continue on with that yeah and I mean... so and that and that to me doesn't bother me that actually just does a good job at establishing scale well... is how I feel about it from the very beginning of the show, uh, it introduced us to themes of predestiny versus free will. And in this episode, it really does like uh, reach a fever pitch complete with religious iconography of like this, inc this divine figure holding an apple and giving a choice to a man and a woman who are sort of one and the same. And the woman ultimately wants she brings about free will and it's chaotic and yes all of like the devils have escaped so to speak but it could also be argued that it really is ultimately uh for like it really is better this way yeah yeah that's 
Yeah, and that, and I think that's why having that having that you know framework reimposed over the rest of it, it why it didn't bother me like the um, like the Watchmen example did. Um, I mean, I feel like the Watchmen example, if, if this show pulled it off, it would have been putting in the, the last episode that everything that we saw Loki go through was fake. Yeah. That's, that's oh, more, no. that's more how it would have felt. And they, they didn't do that in this one. No, it didn't feel like everything Loki did was fake, but it felt more, it felt more to me like the climax of uh, the movie Snowpiercer, where the protagonist is horrified to learn that uh, simply by uh, coming to the villain's lair, that's exactly what the villain wanted. And, like, they've been counting on a revolution to happen. They've wanted uh, the lower class to, like, just get enough self-awareness that they want to revolt because of, like, the theme of the movie is, like, well, you can't, the theme of revolution is to revolve. It's always going to be a full circle, just moving along and on and on. You know what this, this made me think of actually was, um, even though it's, it's to a very different, um, even though it's to a different effect was as soon as you explained it like that, that actually, that actually reminds me of God Emperor of Dune, which, um, it, that's the Dune book that if you have not actually read the Dune series, you might remember it as being the one that uh, the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy inexplicably did a very close parody <laughs> of. If you remember that episode where, where it's the future and Mandy has, has fused herself with a giant worm and is now like, you know, the iron fisted ruler of all mankind. Yes, that was actually based directly on one of the later books in the Dune series. And that's, um, and, you know, and that one actually is, you know, the, the main character from the first book, uh, Paul, it's his, uh, his son. It, and so Paul's the one that's Kyle MacLachlan in the old movie and is, uh, Timothy Chalamet in the new one. Um, so he's kind of like, you know, this prophesied Messiah type, and then he ends up eventually very disillusioned with this. And his son ends up actually kind of taking up the mantle. And part of how he does this is that he actually fuses himself with a sandworm, which allows him to live for, you know, thousands and thousands of years. And basically he intentionally makes himself into this hyper controlling tyrant because he feels like the longer this goes on, the more people are going to eventually want to resist his rule. And unlike the Snowpiercer example, he genuinely wants them to revolt and like explode across the galaxy and, you know, and, and basically find their own true potential again. And he feels only by making them, you know, long for that over a period of like a few thousand years, is he going to accomplish that? But, um, I thought of that actually while I was watching the episode until I, um, and kind of almost wondered if maybe that was part of this particular guy's goal, especially where Sylvie and Loki are concerned. Cause you know, he does want it. He does offer to just kind of hand it over to them. And now for a section I like to call, why are you booing Sylvie? She's right. (laughs) (laughs) Because she chose not to perpetuate time fascism. Like she, I honestly, I think it's laudable for a show seen by this many people to have uh, the message, this system cannot be reformed, only abolished. I feel like 
I mean, for one thing, you know, this was probably one of the last big moments in the show where I suddenly was like, oh, yeah, I think I would have written him doing the same thing in the situation. You know, I do think that Loki wanting to, you know, basically take it over and oversee the timeline, but maybe not so tyrannically and to, you know, and with the idea of absolute, you know, transparency and stuff, for one thing. I do think that that's him trying to overcorrect on on his own nature, which is pretty common, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's coming and it's coming from a good place. Um, But, you know, I I do think that he he does seem to be under the impression that the main issue here is like the secrecy and the lying about it and the and the maybe not, you know, with the way that he was going about it, you almost get the impression that maybe he would, you know, kind of see it as letting people choose and then, you know, pruning out whatever wasn't chosen, that kind of thing. I, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't specific. Right, but, but um, I, there's a, I think there was a great mirror image in this episode of uh, both Loki and Mobius saying, this system can be reformed. All we need is, like, the right people in charge. And then uh, Ravana saying, no, it has to be exactly as it is. The system has to be maintained like the status quo, and Sylvie is her opposite, say, no, the whole thing has to come down. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and, you know, it does also raise the question of, like, you know, they talk about this turning into an all-out multiversal war, and the fact is, is that, and I have a feeling that, like, you know, the other timelines thing doesn't actually sound like an issue so much as, great, now we've got a whole bunch of Nathaniel Richardses running around. Yeah, yeah. So I am pretty active on social media and uh, I just... Oh yeah, no, people comparing this to uh, Star-Lord yelling at at Thanos at the wrong moment is ridiculous. No, no, okay. Yeah, because the thing is like, yes, it can be argued that Sylvie did... What she did, it was for the wrong reasons, but ultimately... It was the right thing. And the thing is, a lot of fans have been saying, like, oh, she's, she betrayed Loki. And it's like, no, for the guy, like, okay. So (laughs) in the Avengers, we saw Loki get offered a chance at redemption by Thor and him responding by stabbing him. And all the fangirls very easily forgave him for that. And it's so telling that here Sylvie was basically in the exact same situation where only she rejected Loki's offer with a kiss and a literal pushing him aside and suddenly she's an icy backstabber. Yeah, I mean, and that's not even getting into the fact that then you have all of these dudes who never fucking cared about Loki to begin with who are just suddenly mad that they have to pay attention to a woman. I mean, there, there's also a lot of that. And also, let's, um, you know what, while we're talking about people being terrible about this show on the internet, let's also just address the fact that I don't know how to explain to you how many times, I know we talked about this in the last episode, but clearly this is something that's not going away. Oh my fucking God, it's not incest. <laughs> what the hell? I mean, at this point, I'm just straight up like, what the hell is wrong with you? You know... For one thing, you know, when I say this, please understand, I am not, in fact, 
endorsing, you know, running around and marrying your cousins or anything, because, yeah, I, I admit that that would be a little bit weird, but I don't know how many times this show is supposed to hammer you over the head with the fact that Sylvie is not literally him. We don't know anything about Sylvie's background. We don't know anything. We don't. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous. People are grasping at straws because they're mad that he kissed a girl. Okay, yeah. that's what it comes down to. They're yeah. mad that he kissed a girl. Although it's been said many times, many ways, if a bisexual person's dating someone outside their sex, they didn't magically become straight. You're just being biphobic. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's another bit. I yeah, that's that's another thing is that it's it's not queer baiting if they're queer like yeah so i'm gonna say something that's gonna get me a lot of angry letters but i am the only one brave enough to say it the dynamic between sylvie and loki is everything that should have happened between ray and kylo ren but never happened yeah, no, I mean, I, I genuinely think that one of the big reasons that so many Raylos have really imprinted on this ship is because it actually, it is the dynamic that they have in a lot of fanfic. You know, I, you know, there were, I actually have, um, without being super invested in the ship in like canon, you know, there actually has, I, I have read some, um, some pretty decent quality Raylo fanfic. And I remember thinking, oh, this is, this is pretty decent, except for the fact that this, I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure out where you even got this particular characterization from. And when I say this, you know, you can get, you know, write whatever you want in fanfic. I don't mean that as a, as, as like an actual criticism of it. It was just kind of, it was so clearly coming up with a dynamic that they wanted to see that I don't think the characters actually have. And, you know, and I say this as somebody who, when it seemed like that was the direction they were going, I was just kind of like, oh, okay, this is where we're going because, um, you know, it's it's Star Wars. I'm used to thinking of things interacting as kind of like archetypes and things like that. But that's, but, you know, that Maureen's exactly right. This is, you know, this kind of dynamic is exactly what they wanted uh, Ray and Kylo to have, but they, they didn't. I mean, down... <laughs> Down to the fact that, you know, pretty much from the beginning, it's marked by Loki just simping for her super hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even, you know what, I don't even want to say simping because, you know, the, um, you know, that, that implies that she's mediocre if you look up what the, what, what it actually stands for. And it's like, that's not what's going on. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's not, it's not clear baiting if they're both bi. Oh my God. You know? Queer baiting is when they deliberately try to trick you into thinking that a queer relationship is going to happen and then just repeatedly pull the rug out from under you on that. Yes. That's, that's what it is. And, and it's not, and the fact is, is that as soon as we, as soon as it was confirmed that they were both bi and considering that, you know, this was also pushed in there partially by Kate Heron, who is also bi, it's like. I'm sorry, it's not queer baiting. And on top of that, you know, it's, I also don't know how to tell you it's not queer baiting to have two men stand next to each other and like each other, <laughs> which is something that I've, which is something else that I've been seeing a lot of argue, arguing about that, you know, that they were clearly trying that, you know, they were clearly trying to bait that with Mobius. And like, I don't, well, I, I don't get, 
on Marvel's official site, like it's pretty much confirmed by like the uh, the creators that it never even crossed their mind that Mobius and Loki would be a ship. Yeah, no, I mean, he was actually written to be the supportive father figure that Loki never had. There you go. And I think that, and I think that shows, and, you know, and also, here's, here's my other soapbox while we're on this topic, which is, ship what you like, genuinely, I mean that. It, I, I am in no way trying to discourage anybody from shipping Loki and Mobius when I say this. However, get off of your incest high horse where, where Sylvie and Loki <laughs> are concerned if you're shipping him and somebody written to be his father figure. Like, don't even try it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you can you can ship them all you like. I, I God, that sounds like I'm being passive-aggressive about it, but no, genuinely, I, you know, it, it doesn't do any harm to ship them. But you know what? Don't don't be a hypocrite about it. Oh my god! And especially <laughs> like, don't think that in order to ship Loki and Mobius, you have to completely hate Sylvie either. Oh yeah, no. I mean, shout out to all of the really chill uh, Lokius shippers. And you know what? And honestly, a special shout out to all of the Lokius shippers whose response to um, to the he was written as a father figure revelation was, yeah, well, you know, Loki has daddy issues. So anyway. <laughs> You know what? Because honestly, you guys are braver than any U.S. Marine, and I, <laughs> I appreciate your existence. And, you know, I was texting Maureen just this morning because one of the other accusations that was uh, made about the queer baiting angle on this was that, you know, at the start of the show, they'd been talking about how he was going to, ha- how Loki was going to have male and female love interests. We've only seen half of the story so far. So, you know what? I, I, my official hope, even though I doubt they're actually going to go here, but this is this is what I would love to see happen. I want in the in the in the next six episodes of this show, I would really love for Loki to acquire a boyfriend as well, and I want him to end up with both of them. And furthermore, I think it would be really cool if the boyfriend was gay, so he actually didn't have any interest in Sylvie himself. But then, you know, that means that Sylvie and the boyfriend, you know, end up as, you know, tag teaming Loki on movie night, pointing whenever there's an obnoxious monster on screen and going, that's you. (laughs) And, you know, and, and I'm sure that there are some people that are listening to this and they're just being like, but, but wait a minute, you shouldn't conflate being bi and being poly. And here's the thing, I didn't because I didn't imply anything about Sylvie there. And for another thing, you know, I say this as a monogamous bi person. The existence of poly bi people is not a threat to my identity. No. And also as a monog- and also as a monogamous person, I also am just like, yeah, okay, but that dynamic rocks. <laughs> like like I just, you know I I want, you know, the idea of Loki having two partners who are also like best friends and like high five each other whenever they manage to roast him is is great. <laughs> so I completely understand Sylvie's motivation for doing what she did. And the thing of it is, is it just wouldn't make sense for her to have a change of heart this early. Like, even though Loki did everything he could, like, it just, there's, it just couldn't have worked. And I feel like in getting what she wanted and then immediately feeling empty afterward is the best way that Sylvie could grow in a way that would be just diminished and even dishonest to her if she chose anything else or if anything else 
happened afterwards because like the thing is she's not there yet she's never had a real chance to like just heal and go over her trauma and she's never had a chance to like go through what loki's gone through of seeing this is what will happen to you when you go down this path and like it's just it's kind of like it's not so much uh it's not so much you talking to yourself as it is a version of you talking to you from 10 years ago and you can try and tell them that uh they're going to make a big mistake and it's going to just leave them with regret but of course why would you listen to you from the future yeah yeah i mean i do think that it's um you know that as much as as loki emphasizes it as like you know i've been where you are part of me is just kind of like sweetie you really haven't (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if he's i don't know if he's necessarily uh i don't know if he's necessarily ever felt that actual sense of like truly righteous indig like there's like you know indignation is actually a big part of how and it sounds like i'm downplaying her feelings but um but I, I mean it more that there's that, you know, just the naked offense that she has at he who remains is kind of where I'm getting that, you know, phrasing it that way from. You know, she has a lot more justification to feel the way she feels than I feel like our Loki really has had at this point. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know about you, but uh, the climax gave me a very, like, at the end, uh... Loki and Sylvie had a very Batman-Catwoman dynamic going on, but especially the when Batman Returns, like, going down oh to, like... Oh my god, yes, exactly. This woman oh saying, god. like... Now, if you... Like, I would love to live happily ever after with you. I just couldn't live with myself if I did. Now, if you excuse me, I have to kill the man who ruined my life. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, this is... This is a Batman Returns like appreciation zone here yes in this house we love it's actually one of Batman returns oh god no it, i mean it is it is actually one of my favorite movies mine too <laughs> so i've kind of been a team silky shipper since uh about episode three but this series by the end it just really had me like 100 percent all the fangirl feels And, like, I was really concerned at the end. Like, I was so worried. Oh, my God, is this ship sinking? Or, like, are they never going to see each other again? Or, like, has their relationship ended before it's even really begun? And, but I kind of love how, thanks to visual shorthand, I definitely think that they're going to reunite eventually. Because uh, looking at uh, the Citadel at the end of time... They're surrounded by golden cracks. And I'm like, oh my god, this is totally evoking Kintsugi. And for those not <laughs> in the know, Kintsugi is uh, the Japanese pottery art of taking uh, broken glass and gluing it together with gold paint. And the idea is you can... Oh, it's it's like it's like actual like gold soldering. It's, yeah. It's actually using... Yeah. Sorry. Uh... Yeah, gold soldering. But the idea between Kintsugi is uh, the idea that you can take 
something broken and make it even more beautiful than it was before. And I think that's like the perfect visual metaphor of where the relationship is. Like, yes, it's definitely has cracks in it, but it can still be whole, just not quite the same way it was before. Yeah. And, you know, and again, I am, I am thoroughly in favor of this resuming with potentially another party involved. (laughs) 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 Not that I don't feel like there's already a, um, a little bit of like a, you know, an all the way around platonic version of that going along, going around with, uh, with Mobius as well, if we're, you know thinking about him hugging Loki and then looking over his shoulder and whispering at Sylvie you're my favorite (laughs) (laughs) speaking of Mobius I am so sick of everyone on the internet saying Lightning McQueen is the greatest voice acting role of Owen Wilson that is clearly Marmaduke erasure (laughs) god Okay, now the real question is, did Daniel Brohl dub, dub Marmaduke? Oh, God. <laughs> How now deep does this go? That's something I need to check. Oh, God, that would be fucking hilarious if true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and and I know that there's been a lot of, there have been a lot of jokes about, you know, Doctor Strange just being like, oh, what the fuck did you do now? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? You know what, buddy? This is what happens when you text and drive, okay? This becomes your responsibility. (laughs) If you didn't text and drive, you wouldn't have to take care of this. I just, I I will never get tired of, like, all the Doctor Strange reacting memes of, like, the one uh, gif of community where uh, Donald Glover comes home with pizza and everything's on fire. Another one of, like, someone uh, (laughs) photoshopping a red cape and white hair stripe onto that one uh, macro of Ben Affleck just sign of a cigarette. <laughs> okay, that... Oh my god, that... Um, yeah, that, that does seem to be about the move. <laughs> I, as I, you know... At, one thing I will say that I do appreciate very much about the MCU version of Doctor Strange is that is their, their decision to characterize him as the sort of person who, being very aware of the fact that he is a 40-year-old man with a PhD, will look at some shit like this going down and just sigh and just be and just close his eyes and just be like, and prom night's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, I do very much appreciate that characterization <laughs> that they have going on there. And part of that is also just because I, I feel like, you know, if, if you didn't do that with him, that he probably would end up just coming off like, you know, like Dr. Orpheus from the Venture Brothers, who is basically just a parody of like 70s era Dr. Strange. <laughs> you know, he talks like a, you know, he talks like a late night horror host and is constantly accompanied by dramatic <laughs> music and is, you know, always, you know, widening his eyes a lot and making like gestures around his face to emphasize what he's saying, even if he's talking about how we've lost the remote. And the television is now stuck on Animal Planet, you know, and, and I so I, I do kind of appreciate that as far as like adapting the actual original character, they just decided to go straight in the oh great direction. <laughs> I do love that 
uh, if the rumors are true and that uh, we'll eventually have a team-up between all of the three biggest magic users of Doctor Strange, Wanda Maximoff, and Loki, it's perfectly color-coded. It's like the flora, fauna, and merryweather of Marvel magic users. <laughs> Oh my god, that's that's also true. I, and I mean, and at this, the other thing that I thought of is that this this now, you know, at first I was just kind of like, man, everybody's getting themselves really hyped up for like multiple Spider Men, Spider Mans. You know, I don't know how you're Spiders Man. I don't, I don't know how do you Spiders Men. <laughs> And, you know, and at first I was just kind of like, I don't, you know, I really don't know if it's worth getting excited about that. And now I'm just like, well, that actually seems fairly obvious that, you know, that maybe they are actually going to go with the whole, you know, variant Spider-Man thing to, you know, with other actors being involved. Yeah, I just, I would love it. I would just love to see the fanboy reactions of the implication in No Way Home that... (laughs) Tom Holland is the sacred timeline Spider-Man and not Tobey Maguire. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, and now, you know what I'm really wondering, even though I know that they can't officially connect them, but you know, I also can't help but feel like this also means that technically you can completely attribute uh, into the Spider-Verse to this. Oh, no! I mean, a lot of people have already made, like, Into the Loki-verse-style fan art. Well, I mean, well, no, I mean that, but, um, you know, I, I understand, I recognize that, but, I mean, but it might also, you know, considering that when they show the timeline fracturing like that, it could very well be taken to mean that, you know, literally everything is canon at this point. There is, you know, how are you going to prove that, how are you going to prove that, you know, one of those like teeny tiny little cracks in the timeline isn't your fanfic? I mean, you, you, you can't, you exactly. know, congratulations. It's all valid everything's, everything's canon and the points don't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually talking uh, to Megan a few hours ago before setting up for the show of like, so that means technically, uh, those commercials where Loki was talking to school children, all those are canon too. <laughs> which, which apparently she brought up because that would technically make me part of the MCU because fun fact, by complete coincidence, I actually spent a couple weeks babysitting the little girl in there who introduces herself as Diana of New Jersey. There you go, folks. <laughs> because the universe is, is, Absolutely tiny. And I know that this sounds a little bit like, you know, my father, the inventor of Toaster Strudel, but <laughs> no, I I am absolutely serious. That is not, you know, that is not why I took the job or how it happened. I just, while I, after I'd applied for it, I got a phone call from, um, from her father and we were talking and he was kind of trying to lay out because, you know, he was going to be out of the city for a while. So I was going to kind of be stepping in for him essentially until her mom could get home from work. And so he was kind of like laying out some of the other stuff. And he mentioned that, you know, she'd done some acting and I, I can't remember what made me make the specific connection, but all of a sudden I'm just like, wait a minute. Was, was, was your daughter in, in the promos for comedy central, the ones with, with Tom Hiddleston playing Loki. And he goes, yes, yes, you've seen those. And I was like, yeah, that was kind of a big deal on the internet. for a while. <laughs> And this was a few years after that had already, um, you know, kind of come and gone. 
So by the time I was hanging out with her, she was like 10 or 11 years old. And she had no idea that this had actually made that big of an impact. And so you have to imagine this little girl's delight when I like popped on my old Tumblr and pulled it up and, uh, <laughs> to just be like, you know, oh, here we go. Here you are. And she just like looked at it and squeaked and covered her mouth and goes, oh my God, I'm a gif. <laughs> it was, it was really cute. <laughs> but, um. But yeah, I guess I guess that's my personal connection to this. Well, when the show began, in episode one, Loki was completely alone, devastated that everyone who ever cared about him is gone, and was lost in a sea of confusion and regret. And now, he's in an entirely different place, completely alone, devastated that everyone who ever cared about him is gone, and was lost in a sea of confusion and regret. <laughs> But you know what? He's a better person now. True. True. That's that's the big thing. And he also, at this point, you know, he also has a, you know, it's it's notable that at the very end, when he's, um, you know, right before he he runs up to talk to Mobius and B fifteen and figures out that he's that they're not the Mobius and B fifteen that he thinks he's talking to, because they don't know who he is. And when he turns around, the statue of the timekeepers has been replaced by one of presumably just regular ass Kang. <laughs> um, but the, you know, he, it's it's worth noting that he actually specifically tries to avoid blaming Sylvie. Yes, that is a huge uh, step forward of saying we screwed everything up. We caused uh, the multiverse to happen. Especially when under these circumstances, he, you know, it wasn't actually a them. You know, yeah. he, but he's he's covering for her because he loves her. Exactly. And that's why I definitely think that he's going to spend quite a bit of uh, season two trying to get back to her. And in that time, she'll go on a journey of self-discovery of her own. And so by the time that they finally do get reunited, they're both in like a much stronger place than before. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe there will be a third party. in this. I'm not saying that that's essential to me appreciating where the story goes. I'm just saying that if they meant it about the, the, you know, giving him two love interests, that's kind of where I hope that they take it. That's all. For sure. So, any Because if they made us because if they made us believe in this after, you know, six episodes, I I I feel like they could do it again with with somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So predictions for season two. <laughs> what do you think is either like it can be either I think this is gonna be very likely to happen or there's no way in hell this is gonna happen, but it would be really good fan service if it did. Oh my god. Well, you know, I, I I already pitched my entire this is how I want the relationship to go thing. <laughs> um I mean, I want more variants. I, oh, I want absolutely. To, I, I want there to be more variants. I in fact I would love I would love for there to be, um for that matter, more variants played by other actors. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, not that I, you know, not that I I don't want, you know, Tom Hiddleston to continue having fun, you know, basically self-parodying by playing uh, variants who didn't get over themselves. 
But at the same time, I really do think that having the variants played by other people thing was, you know, really helped with the constants and variables aspect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking earlier about uh, when Tom gave the Loki lecture, I'm sure he would have to, like, make a list of all the constants and variables of what makes Loki a Loki and which ones are just entirely incidental. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, also I'm kind of just like, can we, uh, you know, for that matter, I I, I want a ginger Loki at some point. And this, <laughs> is, this has nothing to do with the fact that my hair is dyed red, because I don't think that counts for gingerhood. And it also, you know, I'm also not saying this from like a ginger rights perspective or anything. <laughs> I'm just saying that, you know, considering that you know, actual, you know, Norse mythology Loki tends to be represented as, as, you know, having red hair. I, I think that, you know, I, I would love for us to see like a straight up, like mythological-esque Loki showing up in here, possibly even, you know, (laughs) I feel like they could do some really cool bookending stuff, actually, if, if, you know, if they have a mythological type Loki in here who almost comes off as like, as like the chaotic good or at least chaotic neutral um, opposite of what was going on with he who remains. Ooh, that would be fun. You know, if they, if, if, you know, some kind of Loki prime situation, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. Oh my God. If it weren't for the fact that he played a remarkably similar character, can you imagine like, old school myth Loki be played by David Tennant. How much fangirls <laughs> would lose their fucking minds. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, I would, I mean, honestly, my first thought was that I would almost like for them to do another thing where they kind of break an unknown like this. And also sort of, you know, considering that this was also the role that really got Tom Hiddleston's career going in the, in the gear it is now. But, you know, also I, I would kind of love if, if this, if, you know, if, if they were also, you know, Scandinavian and had the accent, that would be really Ooh. cool. Yes. If you actually oh my... had like an, if you had like a, like, you know, like a Norwegian Loki with, or an Icelandic Loki with the accent. You know, it really is crazy to think that, of course, why the hell wouldn't they have a variant of Loki with an actual Scandinavian accent? <laughs> yeah, that would, you know, I, I would love for them to at least in some way acknowledge the fact that it, you know, that, yeah, this is all comic books, but it did come from somewhere. Right. Plus, like, I don't know if it was, like, supposed to... I don't know if it was an actual issue. I'm sure it was just, like, a fan art parody. But there was an image on Tumblr a couple of years ago that was, like, one of those what-if books. Only it was, what if Thor had an actual Swedish accent? Oh, God. And it was just the word balloon of, you you wait till I get my hands on you, Loki. Oh my god! <laughs> Hoo-hoo, big summer blowout. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, especially because you know, I did stop and I tried to think if there was if there was anybody in particular that like I could think of that really fit my like my my general mental image of of myth Loki, and I'm kind of like you know just just you know cast an unknown, you know. Break break another non you know non anglophone actor into you know 
into this. Or if they insist on having, like, someone who's, an actor who's, well, an actor who's known just well enough who's actually Scandinavian, I feel like you could do worse than Bill Skarsgård. Oh, yeah. Who plays another chaotic ginger. Oh, God. I mean, (laughs) you know, it it kind of, uh, it did kind of hit me that, um, you know, when I was trying to think this through, that part of the, part of the difficulty I was initially having here with casting it is realizing how much of my, uh, how much of my mental image of, of mythological Loki is actually a Hungarian actor, um, uh, Berecki Zoltan, who, um, who, you know, especially if you ever look up the 2004 Hungarian musical version of Romeo and Juliet, he's the one playing Mercutio. And you will know exactly why I say this. It, it, I wasn't the one that, that first had this idea, but it was just like, yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. I could see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and for that matter, I have seen, um, for that matter, I've, I've also seen some really incredible um, doll work that actually uses like face molds and everything that were intended to be, you know, Tom Hiddleston as MCU Loki, except, you know, painted and wigged differently to make a pretty accurate mythological Loki. So, I mean, I guess if they were to do something like that, I wouldn't be too disappointed by it, but I'm kind of also just like, you know, I really love that so many of the variants were played by other actors and I would really like for them to continue that. Also, I want, you know what? I, I want to see a Thor variant at some point yes! during this show. Thank you. Especially oh if they especially if they re- especially if they refuse to actually reunite him with his brother. I I want him to at least, you know, get to have some closure with with another Thor. Yes. So, my prediction for season 2 is uh, there's been so much build up with Mobius's desire that there will be an episode where, in its act three, there will be a deus ex machina involving Mobius breaking through a wall on a jet ski like the Kool-Aid man. Holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Get that man a jet ski. (laughs) I also do think it would be nice to actually see, you know, a frost giant Loki beyond the pruned variant that we were told exists. Yeah, I feel like there's still so much more that they need to address on that. And, like, it's still on my bingo card. I was actually pleasantly surprised to find out that... Uh, I do have a bingo on my card, but there's still quite a few left that we didn't get. But I still feel like some I definitely think we're not going to see at all, but others. Oh I yeah, think I mean, I definitely still want to know what the hell is up with Miss Minutes. Oh, <laughs> like, again, because that's the thing we we still don't know what her deal is, other than other than her apparently being some kind of final barrier garden just by barrier guardian just by being extremely unsettling no again i'm still holding out that we have yet to see her final form because it is horrifying (laughs) i definitely feel like if there is an eldritch abomination on the show it would have to be miss minutes oh god i you know, one of the first things that I sent Maureen after this episode was an edit of the, the um, was an edit of the final scene in Act One of uh, Tonster Vampira. Here's that. I guess that's this episode's 
obligatory uh oh there's the plug (laughs) for when the other podcast by the way we are going to start working on that one soon um I'm waiting to hear back on from a couple of people that we contacted for interviews for um, a good nightmare comes so rarely. So right. we'll see how this goes. But um, you know where where Graf von Krolock, the like the the main vampire lord, greets um, the main character and his like mentor figure at the gates of his castle, which incidentally looks a lot like the Citadel at the end of time. Um, you know this 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 episode really did have everything. Um, and, um, and, you know, so one of the first things that I sent Maureen was just, uh, you know, Miss Minutes edited into the gates of, you know, Castle Von Krolock instead, and just captioned because this is actually a paraphrase of a line that, that Graf Von Krolock actually sings in that scene of, you know, friendly reminder y'all that the sea of time is endless and you can only stand on the shore like (laughs) (laughs) and i think you just responded with something about like how is this scarier than the actual vampire (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) uh you know now i'm tempted to draw fan art of Loki and Sylvie uh, at the Citadel uh, confronting He Who Remains, but it's done in the style of uh, the climax of Castlevania, Symphony of Darkness, of Sylvie going, <laughs> Die, monster, you don't belong in this world. <laughs> and He Who Remains being, What is a variant? Nothing more than a miserable pile of secrets. <laughs> Are we? Throwing Man, the apple down. See, this is this is just making me. This is just making me think of of my uh, my comment about like you know I'm just thinking of the Tonstra Vampira finale when virtually every character in the show has at this point been turned into vampires. I mean, some productions of it actually do make it every character in the show. Technically speaking, there are there are two of them where you don't actually know one way or the other. Um, but you know, at the end, it's it's just you know, everybody is vampires and they're all on stage together and they have you know a they have a a big song and dance routine together and I was just like that, but it's all Loki's. That's that's what this show <laughs> is starting to feel like. <laughs> yes, and the credits play over "Dancing with Myself" by Billy Idol. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's. You know, I, I, it's it's another installment in the same genre as, you know, by the end of Pirates of the Caribbean, everybody's pirates. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, even if the show doesn't end that way, I guarantee you all the future Comic-Cons are going to end that way. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, I feel like you probably... I mean, I've already started seeing people coming up with straight up like AU Loki costumes and just being like this is a variant and it's like you know what this may have been one despite everything that's going on with like the incest accusations and the attacking you know the creators and stuff which by the way if you're listening to this and you do that don't stop. fucking do that just, just stop just stop get some help you know we're, we're it's it's just especially I'm like I'm sorry especially if you're like 14 it's like you know what there are so many other embarrassing things to be doing at your age 
things that you're, you know, you'll look on and just kind of be like, oh, wow, I really did that when I was 14. Not things that you're actually going to feel miserably bad about later. Yes. <laughs> so I'm already working on my Sylvie cosplay. Uh, I already ordered a wig, which should come around next week. And I am just really looking forward to, like, how much easier it's going to be to flirt with cosplayers from now on, especially if they're going <laughs> as Loki. <laughs> It'll be the exact opposite energy of the time that we, uh, of the time that, you know, we'd gone as Elsa and Anna. Yes. And, and we found somehow the single creepiest Loki <laughs> who may, we were, we were trying to do like a, we were trying to do like a photo setup where it was basically just Anna and her continued bad taste in men just kind of being like, you have ice powers, he has ice powers. <laughs> and and somehow we managed to find a Loki cosplayer that I'm pretty sure was actually putting a move on Maureen, and I am so sorry about that. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> and, you know, maybe... Maybe now, you know, we'll have a, we'll have a chance of finding you a Loki that you might actually want to hook up with. Here's um, hoping... <laughs> God, I mean, I, I do want to, I do truly hope that at the next con after party, if I'm going to Sylvie and I meet a handsome enough Loki on the dance floor, I can convince the DJ to play Dancing with Myself. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and if you wear this on Comic-Con Saturday, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do opposite that, because it's like, I feel like I need to somehow encourage this energy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh my God. I mean, you could always go as, uh... <laughs> What you've dubbed uh, Cyber Loki twenty seventy seven. Yeah, that that's that's what I've been referring to the 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 token woman in uh, in President Loki's gang, and as far as I'm concerned, she's also the the biggest bit of evidence that uh, that they're not all actually Lokis because the other variants react to the idea of a, of a female Loki with such you know horror. But there she is; she's very obviously there. Um, no, I, I don't think I'm gonna, I don't think I'm gonna do that. I just, I, I, I call her, I ended up calling her Cyber Loki 2077 because she, because I just, I feel like because of the, like, the kind of like, you know, post-apocalyptic gang vibes, other, even other than her hair, she's got like this big mirror visor propped up on her head. And I just, I'm just like, oh yeah, because that's always how you style like the default girl thug in one of these gangs, you know? <laughs> you know, she's like Spike in Back to the Future too. The, the one who uh, demands to know if, uh, you know, what's the matter, McFly? Don't have the scrot or whatever the line is. <laughs> well, there's plenty of time to figure things out until New York Comic Con. And there's even more time to figure things out and theorize until season two of Loki is coming up. <laughs> in the meantime, um, we are now making the official switch to bi-weekly. We haven't quite figured out what we're doing next episode, but we are going to keep doing this. And um, there's there's a lot to discuss out there, you know, even aside from uh, Marvel properties, you know, there, you know, we probably can do episodes on actual mythological Loki stuff and, um, you know, non-Marvel properties. There's some books I can probably recommend you. Yeah, because this he is a character that's been as old as some civilizations. And so that just means there's a lot more stories to tell and a lot more to talk about on this show. So, anything more to wrap up with? 
so until season two comes along, we are going to have lots more stories to tell, lots more theories to explore, and lots more Loki to discuss. So, see you till then. All right. We'll see you again in, in another two weeks when we'll have come up with something else because uh, Loki Wednesdays are becoming our hashtag now. <laughs> we're Since there's no more episodes to look forward to for a while now, we're, we're just going to move to Wednesdays so we can keep using the hashtag, and that's called Synergy. Yeah, because we are still burdened with Glorious Podcast. <laughs>